1: Hi, dear listeners. This is Kate Riga. I'm here to make a quick pitch that you consider becoming a TPM Prime member. TPM has used the member model for over a decade now, and our loyal members are the only reason we've been able to weather the turbulence of the media landscape and avoid the fate that has befallen so many other independent outlets. For $70, you get no paywall, fewer ads, access to the Hive member forum, a members-only newsletter, and more. For $140 a year, you get all of that, plus no ads at all. Without our members, there is no podcast, not to mention that I'm out of a job. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We couldn't do it without you.
0: and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast with Kate Riga. Well, last night we had the first in the nation primary, sort of. It's The Democrats don't really have one anymore, even though they kind of did. So first in the nation and kind of last in the nation, right? It seems like everybody's, everybody's decided it is all over, uh, which is good because we decided it was all over A year ago, because it was all over a year ago. So, you know, one of the things we are going to talk about in this episode of the podcast is this kind of cacophony and clutter and chaos of what are the benchmarks? What are the standards? Right? Did Donald Trump win so resoundingly that now the Republican nomination? Battle is effectively over? Or did the guy who's been the head of the Republican Party for the last eight years seven, eight years, depending on how you wanna how you wanna define it, only manage to get a little over fifty percent of the vote. And this woman who's essentially a placeholder candidate, let's be honest, she's just the other person who you can vote for beside Trump, got like forty-five percent of the vote. So what's going on there? So we're going to get into we're going to get into all of this, but because I want to get right into all of this with my illustrious colleague and co-host Kate Riga, I'm going to tell you first that support for this podcast comes from WW w. Norton and Company, the independent and employee-owned publisher of The Truce. By Hunter Walker and Lupe B. Lupin. The truce explores the major fault lines that define democratic politics today and asks big questions about the future of the party. Will economic or social justice hold primacy at the top of the democratic agenda? Who will lead the major wings of the party after the two defining figures, Biden and Sanders, exit the stage? The truce surveys the major shifts underway from the rise of the squad and new democratic leadership in the House to a complete overhaul of the primary process. By digging into the divide between left and center, journalists Hunter Walker of Talking Points Memo and Lupe B. Lupin expose the creeping generational political tensions that Biden has for the moment kept at bay. The truce by Hunter Walker and Lupe B. Lupin, available now wherever books are sold. And that's the official text of the ad but let me just remind you you know we've actually run obviously hunter is is one of our reporters at TPM we've run a couple excerpts of the book and we actually did on Kate's podcast few weeks ago, a month ago, I can't remember exactly. At the end of at the end of last year, we actually did an episode where we talked to the two of them about the book. I've read it. It's really quite good. I learned a lot of stuff about what happened in the primaries and the 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 Biden Sanders stuff. So check it out. It's it's uh not just read an ad copy here. It's actually it's actually quite good. So, with all of that with all of those preliminaries out of the way, let's get down to this Kate. So, you know, you were doing the live blog last night. I wrote, I wrote a bit. I wrote something during the day. I still cannot quite get my head around the idea that, and, and, and you just mentioned before we started, that maybe the conventional wisdom is starting to shift a little bit. But having said that, or having previewed that, I still can't believe that people are saying, wow, Trump knocked it out of the park. You know, this, this, is pretty, this thing's pretty much done. When He only got a little over 50% of the vote in a two-person race. Like when I, I, you know, earlier um, today, I actually, just to refresh my memory, I looked it up. And that's about a three-point percentage difference from the popular vote in the 2020 election Hmm. between Trump and Biden. And that's sort of clarifying because, you know, obviously... (laughs) We don't, have to, we, we don't have to go over the fact that obviously Biden won that election and he won the popular vote by a by a decent margin, but like not a blowout. You wouldn't say, oh, Republican Party's pretty much done after this thing. So what are what, are, what have we seen over the last you know, dozen, 18 hours or so since this result has become clear. Let's talk about what is the, what's the vibe in the political world? What's the conventional wisdom?
1: Yeah, it's funny because when I'm covering this stuff, you know, in real time, like you said, I was doing the live blog last night. I don't really love to kind of read what other people are saying because it's really, really hard to have your own take once you've kind of been infected by the landscape. Um, Absolutely. this morning, I kind of did the rounds, and basically everyone does some version of like five takeaways from the New Hampshire primaries. And on basically all of these lists, you know, from from all the bigs, the The Times, the Post, what have you. five was consistently, oh, by the way, this might belie some general election weakness for Trump. And then there they get into the fact, like we saw last night, Haley took what like 45. Percent or forty four percent of the vote, 44, 45 Yeah, I mean, like they still,
0: yeah, they still, still little counting. But in that, right. you know,
1: in that range, ballpark, Yep. And then in Iowa, she and DeSantis combined took about forty from Trump. And to me, it's just like, I mean, that's obviously really bad. I mean, can you imagine last night if? Dean Phillips had taken anywhere in the 40s from Biden, despite the fact that he was not actively competing in the state and that they had done this little like
0: and wasn't on the ballot.
1: Right. And then this little, oh shit, we should probably like not have him lose. That would be a bad look. So they did this like last minute write-in thing. Like if he had come anywhere close to that, it would have been sirens blaring from all angles about Biden is weak. He is not going to win. People want somebody else. And instead, you know, for him, it was mostly just kind of the novelty aspect of like an incumbent president won a write-in campaign. Like how strange. And I think the real conclusion from these numbers last night should be, okay, first of all, Dean Phillips, like you're, this vanity project has run its course, right? I mean, to give him the absolute most generous perspective, let's say you buy everything that he's saying and that he's not just kind of like a rich guy who's won exactly one seat in Minnesota and thinks that is grounds for him to get a coronation. I'm like clearly giving away how I feel about him. But if you give him the most generous read, he was... Among Democrats who are worried about Biden's viability in this race, it's obviously a race with enormous stakes. He looked around. He tried to get other people to throw their hat in the ring. They wouldn't. So he stepped up and said, "Okay, I'll do it. And I think if you take that and kind of remove everything else, there is some amount of honor in that, I guess. However, at this point, he has now put himself out there as this alternative and his entire pitch is like, I am exactly the same as Joe Biden and by any policy measure, but I am younger and thereby a a safer candidate. People said no, right? Like overwhelmingly rejected. He was on the ballot. Biden was not. Obviously, we're still counting those write-ins, but, you know, he got 20%.
0: And he spent a ton of money and has been campaigning there nonstop. And Biden, I mean, look at at a certain level, does Biden have to campaign? You know, we've all heard of him. We know he's president. <laughs> you know, we know he's president. So we don't. You don't want to overstate, but still, he hasn't been in the state, and that that plays some role. And yeah. it's. It's funny though, I'll tell you. Yes, last night I was checking out the union leader website and the union leader has been the sort of the marquee paper in the state forever. In the old days, its endorsements were a big deal. When I I checked it out like 1 a.m. last night and the thing is still blanketed with like own the future with Dean ads, (laughs) right? I mean, he's plastered. He's spent a lot of money. And... To your point, you know, the 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 sort of the, the premise of his campaign, again, if you're generous about it, which there's been less and less reason to be, but the premise of his campaign is like, no one wants Biden. Someone just needs to kind of, you know, pierce the membrane and let the air out and give people a choice and like, okay, you know, win one for the scientific method. We ran yeah. your experiment and we've got a result, Dean. Catch you later.
1: Exactly. But, and now he's doing the bullshit of like, I ran a successful brand for decades and you can't have a successful company when people haven't heard of it. So essentially, he's going to stay in the race until by some vague metric, enough people have heard of him for him to decide that he has been soundly rejected. So any amount of generosity towards Dean Phillips expired last night like we're done this is a vanity project from one of these classic rich guy members of congress who like had success in business and for some reason we have all collectively decided that that makes you a good politician and a good legislator even though those two things seem like pretty divorced to me but you know the the point i was making is just the kind of conclusion just numerically from last night should be, OK, clearly people are not as pissed off as Biden, as as maybe the polling has led us to believe if they're willing to kind of go through the rigors of a write in campaign and get behind him by this much. When there were other candidates with whom they could have lodged, you know, a protest vote
0: or and just then not shown f- up. Right. Or just not not even vote to go. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Or, you know, decide to just throw in with the Republican side because it's more exciting. Um, Mm -hmm. And then you have Trump losing a huge amount of people, 45 percent of the vote to Haley, whose favorability is like quite low. So a lot of these people don't even like her that much and still voted for her rather than voting for Trump and then wrapped up in their as well. And, you know, caveat, 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 New Hampshire is a weird state. We've been in its idiosyncrasies. It doesn't look like most of the Republican electorate. But, you know, there's a a ton of stats in there, which are also I think you have to take with a grain of salt in general. But, you know, 42 percent of the voters said that Trump would be unfit for office. He was convicted of a crime, you know, all that kind of stuff. And I think if it was just New Hampshire, if that was the only data point that we had on this, we would have to be like, okay, that's interesting, but perhaps not that revelatory because this state is so strange and so unlike what most of the Republican Party is. However, it is not that meaningfully different numbers-wise than it was in Iowa, which is a very kind of typical MAGA state. And as you said right before we came on the air, also this was New Hampshire sans DeSantis. So you can imagine that if DeSantis was still in, even though he was not polling well in New Hampshire, he still would have polled uh, at least a few more percentage points from Trump in that matchup. Yeah. So yeah. we're talking in our first two contests, Trump has lost roughly half of the voters to other candidates and to other candidates who don't have like soaring approval numbers, right? Like all time, huge, hugely liked within the Republican Party. They are like not, I don't think either of them could be considered that good of a candidate right now. And still, they were able to pull that many people away from him. And I think that's like a huge deal. And just coming off the data points we have, I think it's pretty hard to argue that Biden is the one who's in a weaker position than Trump, kind of based on the numbers we're seeing.
0: Yeah, you know, before we leave off of of Dean Phillips when he made that statement, I guess he said it to Politico, that thing about once everybody, I'm not leaving until everybody knows who I am. That's a bit like, you know, you don't know you don't want to be with me. We haven't gone on a date yet, right? I mean, there's something <laughs> kind of there's something kind of menacing about it, right? <laughs> I, I I don't know how long that's going to I don't know how long this kind of ego trip is going to uh last for him, but I do think this is at least knocked him down for the count in any kind of framework of, oh, you know, the, the 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 huge anti-Biden thing is gonna he's gonna be the vehicle for it. But you know, the thing the, the other thing that came out that was actually pretty instructive on this, on the whole, you know, what is the nature of the discontent with Biden. And look, there are certainly discontent with Biden. There's no question about that. Simply the fact that his approval number is low we can you know we can have all sorts of debate about why that is but it is and it doesn't mean nothing but a few days ago i think piggybacking on one of these primary polls there was a poll of new hampshire for the general election that had biden you know something like 38 or 39% approval so terrible basically and in the same one, he's beating Trump by like seven percentage points. And if you added RFK Jr., he was beating Trump by like three percentage points. And New Hampshire is, is usually, over the last quarter century, it has consistently voted for the Democrats, but it's always very close. It's it's never by a, a big margin. It's, 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 you know, it's kind of comparable in those terms to, you know, how, you know, those kind of Midwestern industrial states are in terms of the you know the, the the narrowness of the margin, which is a at least a data point for the theory that Democrats really need to hold on to that there is something about our politics right now that approval is has become untethered from electability in a way that is kind of game changing. You know, the old fashioned thing was, if you're an incumbent, significantly below 50% approval, you're in danger. You know, that's tough. And if you're like at 40% or below 40%, you're basically unelectable. You just, you know, people are done with you. But that, that connection seems to have, have become severed. And, and it's not just, you know, we're kind of coming up with theory about Joe Biden, uh, Donald Trump was like this i mean you know we, we forget that donald trump spent his basically his entire presidency hovering around 40% you know at a certain point late in his presidency but before covid you know he he had kind of you know nudged up again into the into the low 40s but he you know spent significant time 38 very similar to biden and yet he you know he almost got reelected and and i don't mean you know i mean doesn't matter what i mean you know what i mean it was still a close election so there does seem to be something and that is a that is an example of that you know every state has its own peculiarities but if donald trump is going to i'm sorry if joe biden is going to be winning new hampshire by 7 percentage points he's going to be the next president he's not going to win there by that and and not win the other states that he he needs to win now that's just one poll, all the kind of stuff. But that gives us a more direct measure than you know, trying to infer from what does Donald Trump's result mean in, the, in his primary and what does Joe Biden's write-in mean in his primary. This tells us approval does not seem to be that determinative of electability in a way it really did used to be.
1: Yeah. We also got a pull out, I think this morning from Susquehanna uh, testing the Pennsylvania general election matchup that had Biden up like seven or eight points, which is, you know, a, kind of another data point in that set. While he's still quite unpopular, it seems that right. some of those like you know, the contraction polls that we saw a few months ago might start to be stretching out a little bit again. But it is funny how you can feel the narrative shifting in a way that I think is so I think this is such a feature of elections that we don't talk about enough that like reporters and outlets need, you know, dynamic movement. You need to write about things changing and new trends because you can't just keep writing the same story over and over and over. And I don't mean to say that that's Rooted in nothing. But I think the reality is that, especially right now in our current politics, where it seems like a landslide presidential election is, I don't know if we can like have that anymore. You know, maybe we can. Yeah. Right. Maybe if you get, I don't know, some. Candidate who upends everything. But the way we are now, it's like you got 40 in one camp, you got 40 in the other camp, and then you're just fighting over who's in between. And like, it's going to be roughly 50 50, you know? Or maybe,
0: maybe even 45. Yeah. I'm I not think even that sure it's right. 40. It's really, yeah. like, it's really like 45. And so, yeah, it is wild to think about. I, I believe in, in 1984, Ronald Reagan won every state. I mean, think about that. That's just unimaginable. Unimaginable, right? right. I mean, are you going to have like you're you're going to have a Republican win Massachusetts, New York, Rhode Island, Maryland? It's it's un it's unimaginable. Or vice versa, you're going to have a Democrat win Idaho? What? You know, it's right. it's or even and the last the last time we had um kind of you know, the closest we have gotten in sort of anything like the modern era was in 2008, when I wait. Did oh god, I'm, I I I need to research this before I go. I, I can't I can't remember now whether Obama got close to winning Indiana or won he, Indiana. He did win. He did. Right. Okay. That's yep. what that's what I thought. Uh, he grabbed North Carolina. You know, but but still, that that kind of you know hardening of the lines is is mm-hmm. is, is is just our reality.
1: Right. And in that atmosphere where each side is doing kind of roughly the same as the other, and it's all going to be marginal who wins the election, in that Landscape, you can create either narrative and it's somewhat based in reality. And for the past few months, the, the kind of vogue narrative has been Biden is weak and he's old and this is going to be a crisis. And is it too late to replace him? And all the kind of exciting threads that shoot off of that. And now I think you can feel with how we started the show this like infusion of the idea of wow, maybe these early states you know, maybe the two things are true at once, that Trump is both dominating his Republican challengers and pulling up an incredibly small vote share for someone who is basically an incumbent, that maybe that belies some weakness. And, you know, maybe doing well in a Republican primary no longer bears that much relation to doing well in a general and anywhere that's halfway competitive. And I think think you're starting to feel the kind of movement in that direction especially now when the primary like any kind of possibility for drama has basically evaporated at this point you know New Hampshire was going to be the big Haley stand she lost by double digits you know it's we can do all the gaming out we want from here. You know, I, I know she is pretending like she's going to go have this big performance in South Carolina. Like I w- would be frankly pretty shocked if she's still in the race by then. But by this point, that's we're in general mode, right? Like for all intents and purposes, we are now in general election mode. And that is a place where Biden is unpopular. As you say, that might be increasingly attenuated from from polling results. And then on top of that, gee whiz, Trump doesn't look very popular either.
0: Yeah, it's it's a funny thing on, on a number of levels. You can see that at least some shift in the conventional wisdom or like the kind of the feel. Um, and, the vibes. Uh, yeah, the vibes. And, and those, those vibes are not necessarily a reality, but they are worth keeping an eye on to the extent that the vibes are basically – a what you feel what emanates from the conventional wisdom of elite reporters and that actually does make a difference it's Mm -hmm. not it's it's not like um it's not like it determines the outcome but it's the prism through which all the data is you know comes to us so that is a that's a significant factor in how the, you know, in how the election will play out. You know, one thing that was interesting and, you know, what the Democrats have been waiting for, for months, many months, is this idea, you know, we're not in general election mode. A lot of people don't get that, A, Biden is the nominee doesn't matter if you think he's old. He's the nominee. Get used to it, right? And Trump, maybe you think that it's going to be DeSantis or Nikki Haley or someone else, but it's not. It's Trump. And many Democrats and certainly the Biden campaign have had this idea that once people actually understand that is the choice, that is going to be a much more favorable environment for Joe Biden. And for what it's worth, I think they're right. I think that has I think that has always been the case, but it's still a theory right we don't actually know you know it's it's a it's good theory i think i think it's probably right but you know this isn't the scientific method we haven't we don't have any like experimental data to actually show it but one thing that i think is interesting that we've seen over the last few weeks is suddenly these speeches that Donald Trump gives that show up on OANN kind of show up on Fox they're there if you want to look for them it's not like in, it's not like they've been like deplatformed or anything but they're not kind of at the center of the public view suddenly these things kind of are and you had, you know, that interesting thing, you had a Republican pointing out that he got confused during one of his speeches and thought that uh, Nikki Haley was was Nancy Pelosi. And it's, it's very interesting how things matter depending on the sort of touchpoint credibility relevance of the person who validates it. You know, you can have a million people on MSNBC saying, oh, you know, Trump was talking and he got confused that you don't take a shower in the toilet. Oh, what a, com- <laughs> what a complete demented weirdo. But because Nikki Haley said, maybe this guy isn't all there. He confused me with Nancy Pelosi. What the fuck? And then suddenly reporters like, maybe, maybe, maybe Trump isn't all there anymore. And it's, you know, it's I'll just one more thing. It's so weird. Republicans have done such a good job with this Biden stuff that people forget Donald Trump like invented presidential cognitive decline discourse, (laughs) right? That's how we got to this thing. The whole Biden thing was just to kind of work the refs and kind of say, everybody does it. Everybody's senile. It, you know, kind of no kidding. He's you know, he is kind of for a man in his late 70s. He is robust in a way. You know, he's kind of flailing his arms around and everything. And but he's he's not all there and he hasn't been for years. I mean, no kidding.
1: And he brings up that dementia test that he passed, like still frequently all the time in his speeches. But I totally agree. I think Nikki Haley's done this like heel turn, especially really in the past like week where she started coming after him with some oomph in a way that neither she nor DeSantis had done or honestly, Chris Christie had done up until this point. And the kind of crux of her argument last night when she gave this like very early kind of pseudo victory speech, you know, after coming in second of two was both parties have an 80-year-old candidate. Whoever offloads theirs first is going to win. And the beauty of that argument is like, you know, in some ways you can be like, oh, well, that is bad for Democrats. But I, I don't think you can get any worse for Democrats in terms of the Joe Biden is old narrative. Like that has come from Republicans, They're water carriers in the media, people who don't consider themselves water carriers in the media. Like it's come from everywhere. Like Joe Biden is old, is a as universal of a narrative as you can get in American politics. Democrats have
0: basically conceded it.
1: Exactly. But what is not universal, as you say, is that Trump is four years younger and has been making these like Big mix-ups in his speeches, kind of all the time recently. The, the, the Nikki Haley uh, Pelosi one, the saying Biden's going to get us into World War II. That he keeps thinking that he's run against Barack Obama before. Like big stuff that that, to my mind, has a little more staying power than Biden like tripping downstairs. To be honest with you, I mean those are pretty big things to forget in the the political scheme. So the fact that her kind of leading argument now is like Trump is too old and he is losing it a little bit and he keeps saying things wrong, I think that's super damaging to him. And also filling in a bit of the void of Democratic complacency because we shouldn't be waiting for Nikki Haley to make this argument. Like this should have been blaring from... I mean, I know Democrats are disadvantaged in the media ecosystem. We talk about that all the time, but they're not without tools. And this should have been a much, much, much larger and more frequently echoed argument than it was like they completely ceded that arg that ground to Trump completely that that Biden is kind of like the doddering old guy. And Trump is the like, as you say, the robust kind of like maybe too much manic energy person, even though, (laughs) you know, Biden like is rides his bike and is very kind of fit and like goes on these huge international gauntlet trips. And, you know, Trump is like, has to take a golf cart where everyone else is walking and is getting everyone mixed up in his head. But anyway, I think if there is a completely self-serving argument for Nikki Haley saying in this race, it's that I think that argument will do tremendous damage. I think you can tell how damaging it is by how incandescently angry Trump was last night at his victory speech. And so you he know it's was, funny you know, that to- he
0: was like he was like the only one who realized he hadn't done well.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I, like, I want like to get to reporters didn't speech. get it, but yeah, 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 yeah. I want to get to that in detail. But just to finish the point, it's just it's funny that the whole time we were thinking that this was the role Chris Christie was going to play, right? That he was going to be the Trump pit bull, he was going to go after him and say say things that every other Republican is too cowed to do. And here we are, you know, end of January, and it seems like Nikki Haley is the only one who's going to even attempt to fill that role. And in the few times she's done it, I think it's been like quite powerful. I mean, I thought her speech last night was absolutely rousing. I don't think that changes anything for her political trajectory, but it's certainly kind of fulfills a big void on the Democratic messaging side. More of the scintillating content after these messages. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts
0: ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening,
1: download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Back to the show.
0: You know, it does show again and and reporters are, Maybe for obvious it's, – it's, I was going to say maybe for obvious reasons, maybe for good reasons. But yes, good speech. But it also shows that in this it, – it's almost like a, a sort of a subsection of both sides' journalism. If you, a Democrat, if you, uh, you know, a kind of a liberal aligned person say something, that, that doesn't matter because you're on that side. It doesn't matter if it kind of makes a lot of sense. You're on that side. But suddenly, reporters here, and not just reporters, voters hear from like, wait, she's a Republican, and she's saying that Donald Trump may be getting senile, like, is he getting senile is that possible i mean it it is it is kind of weird He's not the first one to say this but it suddenly everything kind of changes and i i do think that is part of why he was so upset last night and it's part of his power that he has this relationship with the republican party you cannot criticize him you can sort of you know you can sort of say things like oh i didn't see the tweets or, oh, I wish he'd, wish he'd tone it down, you know, these kind of vague things. But you can't criticize him because if you do, he's going to end your career. You'll be done. <laughs> and that, because of that dynamic I described, where anything the political opposition says is meaningless, it, it creates this sense of invulnerability and power around him because no one who has any standing is able to criticize him. And that's why, and, and, you know, one thing I wanted us to get into is the Biden campaign, the white house clearly went into last night, you know, even if Nikki Haley had won, they would have been saying, okay, this is done. He's the nominee. Let's, let's do this thing. Right. Cause they want it. They want to move on to that binary choice. All right. We know that. But this is why, I mean, we're going to get there, right? It's okay if we get there in four weeks. But this is why having her around for a little for a little while can actually serve some purpose for the Democrats because she can surface things. And to your point, suddenly she says what kind of everybody's been saying for years and everybody's like, whoa, whoa. Like he, Donald Trump may not be have the have the acuity of a 25 year old i'm shocked right and who knows maybe she'll even i don't know i mean is she going to go there on the big lie you know i who knows? probably not but like who knows
1: totally and then she also has the effect of making trump Absolutely crazy, right? So it's both she's like voicing the unspoken truths from the Republican world and provoking him by her very presence in the race. And because she's a woman and a woman of color, you know that he's going to completely go over the line, because that's who he is. (laughs) And so it has like the double edged effect of kind of bringing out the worst in him. And and then like you say, you know, airing these, these criticisms from someone who has the quote unquote, um, believability that the Democrats don't in the media's eyes. And so now let's get into the Trump speech, because that was, that was something to behold. You know, first of all, to just set the stage, if anyone didn't see the visual of it, he is at the lectern and then he's flanked by all these people behind him, you know, which include like Trump children and AIDS and stuff, but smack dab behind him are his like vanquished opponents from the primary. So he's got... It's almost
0: like the deer's head on the wall kind of thing, right? (laughs) And so he's got
1: Vivek over one shoulder. He's got Tim Scott doing the most pathetic like... He 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 had his head at an angle so he would be visible to the camera, like peeking around Trump's head the whole time. So that's how he comes out. And, you know, just to remember, when we talked about this after Iowa, what was so striking about Trump's speech was how— normal Politico person it is it was, you know, like going through all his family members that he was thanking, um, you know, saying like Haley and DeSantis had a, a good showing, blah, blah, blah. It was like a totally kind of normal speech, clearly born of people telling him like you need to be a little bit more normal. If he got that advice last night, he did not take it because he came out and remember Haley had spoken really early in the evening, like only, you know, probably maybe 20 percent of the vote at best had been counted by that point. And she had given this kind of quasi victory speech where she was like, we got almost half the vote, you know, on to my beloved South Carolina. So that had already all happened by the time he came out. And he was just furious. You know, he called her an imposter. He was mad about her speech. He was mad about the dress, her, her, but not very fancy dress, (laughs) Um, the chutzpah that she was staying in the race, even though she had lost. I mean, that was the, kind of predominant theme. And then after he did his usual kind of cold calling to make people give obsequious speeches about him, which included the Vivek, you only get one minute and 30 seconds, which was objectively the most hilarious part of the speech. He gets into this like little aside part where he says if Haley stays in the speech, she's going to come under investigation. DeSantis would have as well if he hadn't dropped out. And we were like debating this in real time, being like, who is he talking about? Like what? Who are the investigators here? You know, he, he seemed like he may be pointed towards the press. So we were like, oh, is it that? Is it a more that's a weird term for the press, though. Is he talking about the DOJ? Like, and he never returned to it. He just he dropped that and kind of meandered away into like inflation and stuff. But it was a, a it was just a classic Trump, right? It was like all grievance, no, you know, he he won, he won bigly, and there was no victory lap of any kind. It was just like forty five minutes of I am so pissed off right now, and I have a microphone in front of me.
0: It is, you know, when Kate just said, you know, we, as many businesses do now, we kind of, we have our virtual conversations via Slack. And if you're not familiar with Slack, it's kind of a a bells and whistles version of chat or texting when, you know, everybody in the company is kind of, uh, you know, talking in real time. And it it was funny if you could see the transcript because the the first one of us who mentioned it thought it was... DOJ investigations. And then when I looked at it, I said, but he talked about you people, and that's what he does, and he points, he, he's talking to the press, because they're in front of him. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe he means like they're going to come under press scrutiny. But then when we, when we went back over it again, the person who brought it up the first time was clearly right, because the way, various details of the way he said it, clearly he meant investigation, legal investigation. And what it kind of came down to, you know, it's it's what uh, uh, you know in, in in hermeneutics, you say something is overdetermined, right? <laughs> There's no finding it out. It was just, yeah, you know, unknowable. what he what he meant, you know, meant is doing too much too much work in the, in the in the sense because it's kind of clear that he was pointing to the press, but he was also talking about they're going to come under criminal investigation, so it's just him kind of. It it's 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 like a uh, you know, you're 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 trying to teach a monkey how to paint and they're just taking the they're throwing little chunks of paint at the canvas and, and what it doesn't mean anything. And it, it was it was it was kind of like that, but you can you can you can tell that he's he's so deep into when he threatened legal consequences to people when he was president. And now he's back to saying how he's going to weaponize when he's president again, that he just kind of got lost in the moment and said it, even though it kind of didn't make any sense. And there you there you are. And as you said, he didn't come back to it. It's just sort of like, a, you know, riffing. You know, then he totally. says gas price is too expensive and...
1: Drill, baby. Drill. Thank you. Good night. We love you. (laughs) Yeah. And I mean, it's so revealing of his id, right? It's like he. We keep getting these like big sweeping statements from him about how he wants to do all this vindictive legal stuff day one. You know, he wants to be a dictator. And the thing is, that's never been hyperbole. Like, as soon as he sniffed at the chance of being president, you know, that created a world in which he doesn't just have to kind of go after his enemies with lawsuits and stuff. Like he he now has all these greater apparatuses to punish people with. And that is, I mean, it's obviously just that such a short step from like, she pissed me off by not dropping out of the race to my natural instinct is to, like, weaponize the DOJ against her or or whatever other kind of law enforcement entity he, like, has at his disposal. I mean, it's totally – the problem with Trump has always been that these absolutely shocking kind of authoritarian instincts are – out in the open, he, like he's never tried to hide them. This is just how he thinks. He thinks that because DeSantis, who, by the way, endorsed him like four days ago after being ritually humiliated by him for months, still he's pissed him off too much, like into the gulag with him, right? And then and then Haley having the the nerve to criticize him and not to drop out when he wants her to drop out, like that is that makes her kind of liable for the the greatest punishment he could muster.
0: You know, we have yesterday, you know, yesterday I did a a, a post where I basically said, you know, th- the question, should Democrats hope that this drags on a bit or Trump's the nominee? What we were sort of alluding to a few minutes ago about what, you know, what the White House wants and everything. And what I basically said is kind of like both are fine. You know, just you can you can go into primary night with a sort of a calm equanimity, that any any outcome on that side is fine. And I heard from a a South Asian American reader who basically said, I hope she does well because I want to see this go on because Trump will go so feral and he will say so many awful things that it will hurt him. You know, not Heard him that much, but everything's relative, right? You know, kind of, and um, I don't know. It was just sort of <laughs> it was just sort of revealing to me of the world we are in. And you can you can see, I mean, you can't of course he will. Of course he will. That's who he is. And she's and she is um he he has had. He has had various women over the last eight years stand up to him in various ways. We know how he reacts. We know how he reacts to anybody who uh, defies him, and that it adds to the equation if it's a woman, if the woman isn't white, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But he has not had a woman running against him in this way. I mean, He went toe to toe with Nancy Pelosi, but Nancy Pelosi was not running against him, was not in a in a in a political contest with him. And I do think if she can keep herself credible to the point where where reporters will keep treating this as a race, as opposed to kind of like a Dean Phillips kind of nonsense thing that he's going to get it'll get pretty ugly pretty fast
1: i think the nancy pelosi thing was so revealing of how his mind works because you know he (laughs) has a file up there just called like bitches right and it's like (laughs) nikki haley and nancy pelosi i mean i'm sure he'll call her hillary in like the next few days you know it's gonna happen yeah totally i mean and i do i want to reserve like just a a couple minutes for um giving the award of like wraith of the night because
0: everything i know i know where you're going
1: Okay, (laughs) Tim Scott, Tim Scott, this man who's like known around the hill as nice, everybody likes him, blah, blah, blah. Nice Tim Scott. Yeah, big smiley Tim Scott. So he like kicked off his week with this slapdash engagement to this woman who kind of came out of nowhere and came out of nowhere right around the time that the old right wing rumor mill was like, well... Can't have him as VP if he's got the gay, you know, that's not going to work. And then all of a sudden he like conjures this girlfriend kind of out of nowhere and then within the year has proposed. So he proposes to her over the weekend, juts off to New Hampshire to be here for the rally caps this experience by Trump trying to bait him into saying that he hates Nikki Haley because he's like you know you're a South Carolinian you endorse me and not her like wow you must really hate her and then
0: and she made you senator right that was like the kicker yeah
1: Tim Scott scuttles around Trump to the to the microphone and goes I just love you and Trump's like oh yeah that's why he's a good politician he's a good politician and it's just like Oh my God! Like the depths that people are willing to stoop for this man, and to hold power in the world in which he's king, it just it it boggles the mind.
0: It it was I was actually, and it's funny when I was when I was walking back from the office to come back to record the podcast, I was I was feeling sad about him. Like I, I like, and not like I have like I particularly care about. Tim Scott, I mean, he's not, you know, I don't really have particular feelings one way or another, but, and, you know, look, who knows what his private life is. It obviously doesn't matter, shouldn't matter. It probably does matter in that, in that party. But what, I mean, my recollection of the chain of events here is that he endorsed Trump Trump made a throwaway line about, you know, wouldn't he, he might be a good vice president, you know, something, something like that. The next day, he, uh, you know, tweets out these pictures of him proposing to this girlfriend who, uh, where is she from? Who is she? And, and then that little event in New Hampshire last night, and you're sort of like, you know, it's not that I thought like Tim Scott was the future before, or sort of like, Wow, I've never seen a better senator, but like you know he's a united states senator um he's no longer an appointed senator, he's one in his own right, you know it's not nothing to be an African American senator from South Carolina, and like just what he has submitted himself to over the last few days. It's just, it's just remarkable what people will 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 do for this guy. It it doesn't stop being remarkable even after years of watching it. It's it's just, and it's 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 so funny. You know, sometimes I I will be in conversations with you know some very hardcore Trump people, and I am. It wells up within me to say it's one thing that you have this really uncivic, undignified devotion to another person, a political figure. And it's Donald Trump. Like, you know, eight years in, I still can't get my head around that. You know, there's a reason why a bunch of the, you know, most of the big global authoritarians have funny haircuts and kind of have this kind of bombastic weirdness it it goes with the territory but it's sort of like it, this isn't an fdr or even like a ronald reagan who you can say all right this is a kind of in that world was a was an important ideological figure it's this ridiculous person and you're you know you're you're willing to you're, you're you're willing to do this and you know one kind of more point about this we were talking early in this episode about you know is it is it great that Donald Trump won the primary last night with 50 per, 54% of the vote or is it actually pretty pathetic because the Republican Party is supposed to be his personal property and he's and he's only getting 50-50 and what it brings me back to it's it goes back to this thing that Will Salatin said back in 2016 about you know, the GOP is a failed state and Donald Trump is its warlord. Hmm. It's still kind of that same thing. What does a warlord do? A warlord is either unable or uninterested in creating a proper state. They dominate a chunk of it, enough to have a center of gravity, and they just threaten everybody else to keep their heads down. And that is still kind of what the story is with Trump. And that doesn't mean he's going to lose the election because it was the same thing back in 2020, same thing back in 2016. So he's, so he's won and lost on, on, on that model. It could be either. But I do think that is that's what that 50% plus number tells us and takes the conversation beyond just hot takes and where, you know, kind of, you know, kind of where you're setting some arbitrary thing of, you know, kind of when he's, when he's weak and, and, and when he's strong, that he totally dominates this party. But when you actually have an election, at least a big plurality of people are kind of like, kind of like someone else, you know, and that's kind of, kind of where we are.
1: So let's just wrap up by kind of looking ahead. Nevada is really weird this year. There's like a state run one and a party run one and Haley and Trump are not participating in the same thing. So we can kind of skip ahead to South Carolina in terms of the next head to head. That's a month from now. I mean, that's a really long time for her to sustain momentum which in this case pretty much means sustain a message that enough people are willing to buy to keep giving her money so she can kind of you know keep putting up ads and and running in in every meaningful sense. So she's kind of her argument now is you know this is my state this is where I was a governor the voters know me there the media market knows me there like that's friendly terrain. Granted, we haven't had any South Carolina polls for a while. I I think they're still pretty old um, and it's hard to get independent polling there. And like, we don't know what the internals say. But last we heard from South Carolina, I mean, he was walloping her like 30 points, 30, 40 points, you know, by a ton. And to me, it's just if unless New Hampshire ushers in some kind of big change in those dynamics gives any indication that she won't just be like totally humiliated in her home state it's kind of like why would she do that right i mean to some extent if she kind of gets out now or now ish you know it's like she she had a coherent argument at least right she kind of made her stand in the state where she could had the best chance of of doing well And then she realized there was not an appetite for for a Trump alternative. And then she kind of bows out. And then I still think she can do the kind of like, you know, donor class Republican thing that these kind of vestiges of the old guard Republican world can do. Where she, you know, will be on like the board of Raytheon and can participate in those like how colleges like to have. Uh, prominent democrats and prominent republicans like come in and talk to students like she can do all that kind of stuff still um her pissing off trump i don't think like ruins her political future the way that maybe desantis has like endangered himself a bit more in that way um but it's hard to see what is the prize for her in getting humiliated in south carolina And then, you know, then dropping out when like the next state in which she can probably be actually competitive is probably like Virginia, which isn't until Super Tuesday.
0: Yeah, I don't. It's a it's a really good question. And I think as we saw a few days ago, Ron DeSantis and his people were absolutely guaranteeing he was in the race for the duration until he dropped out. And, you know, so we could it's entirely possible we could hear from her two days from now that she's dropping out and that's just you take a few days and 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 you do that i somehow i don't i don't quite get the feel that's gonna happen Mm -hmm. and i really can't point to any objective evidence Why that's the case. I was honestly a little surprised that DeSantis got out before New Hampshire, although, you know, he was doing poorly, all that kind of stuff. I don't know. I, I, uh, she does seem to have the bit in her teeth a bit now. You know, she's really kind of, for the first time, any of these people have attacked him in a way that he really cares about. So I don't know. I mean it it really I guess it will depend on whether there is some coalescence over the next few days of the idea why did Trump only get basically fifty percent of the vote? Why is he having a hard time, you know, kind of closing the deal in the Republican party, and if that is the you know if that's the vibe, then there's still a storyline for her to play out um logically it makes sense she'll drop out in the next three or four days but I don't know somehow i just don't i i, I don't get the sense that's gonna happen and i'm not I'm not entirely sure do you agree do you what do you, what do you what do you think
1: i I definitely agree with the idea that I think her campaign has seemed more energized in like the past week than it had in any of the months up until then. And that she personally seemed more kind of jazzed that I'd seen Mm -hmm. her before. And she's definitely one of those kind of offenders of like, she basically has one speech that she like kind of gives over and over and over again. And last night felt a little bit different. And like the people in the room were like, Oh my God, ecstatic, like so thrilled. Again, I don't think any of this points to a viable path to her. I mean, we've been saying that for ages and it's still true. There's like really nowhere she can go. I think to some degree it does. I mean, it's going to come down to money. Like her entire kind of apparatus is really fueled by these like super rich establishment Republican types who don't like Trump and as if they feel i think that this money is being wasted that'll dry up and there's mm-hmm. a, i mean there's a lot of kind of data points to suggest that it it will be wasted but i mean like you say there is no one more untrustworthy than a candidate whose campaign is running out of life in terms of what they say and how you know we just punched our ticket to New Hampshire and on to sweet south carolina right as far as i'm concerned i hope that she stays in as long as possible, uh, you know, for all the reasons we we discussed, and for the more you know, the less noble reason of like it's pretty funny to watch <laughs> someone get under Trump's skin like this. <laughs> totally, <laughs> so, totally, totally. You know, I, I'm I'm pick Nikki all the way here. You know, keep keep rolling, Nikki
0: the one thing that i on the uh, on the money front and this is something maybe you or i can look into this and something that listeners can keep an eye on there was that kind of weird story a couple months ago where there was you know kind of a lot of bells and whistles that she was now the official candidate of the coke network mm-hmm. you know whatever whatever that thing is and that you know the coke operation really does work like an operation if if whoever kind of if whatever secret committee sticks with that that's probably more than enough money you know to keep her going over the next month because look what are you talking about you're talking about several million dollars to kind of make you know that doable depending on how many TV ads you want to run and I could actually see those people maybe kind of thinking let's 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 keep it going a little bit bit longer. It never really made any sense to me why they did that in the first place or what they were trying to accomplish with it or frankly, anything, because it has been clear to anyone with their eyes open for months, for really a year that he's going to be the nominee. But that's really kind of the thing. I wonder if that is, and I just haven't seen any follow-up reporting on that. If that's still operative, I bet she can keep funding it. So maybe we'll know more about that by by next week. Or maybe, you know, or maybe she'll drop out tomorrow, in which case the whole whole thing is moot.
1: To me, the biggest data point is just I I just I don't think that she wants to get decimated in South Carolina. Like, I think that would be emotionally difficult for her. So, you know, but a month is forever in a political campaign. So we'll kind of see how the winds shift over these next few weeks.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. Well, that is, you know, that's our, that's our report on the first and perhaps last actual <laughs> primary contest of, of, of this election season. So we will be back to you next week with uh, a follow-on of the, you know, what the after, the true after action on the New Hampshire primary, whether we still have some version of an active campaign on the Republican side. So we're going to talk to you next week.
1: All right. See you then. Later. The Josh Marshall podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga and TPM founder, editor in chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song. And thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple podcasts and subscribe wherever you listen.